it's funny. Um, when I first came down here, the wine cellar felt huge and dark and empty. For the first four days, I felt like I was in a cave. Like I was lost in this massive, horrible, empty space where anything could be waiting for me, or even worse, where nothing could be waiting for me. And then after that, after four days passed, it began to feel like what it was, a tiny, cramped, claustrophobic room where no one should spend their entire life. But now, today, on this very day, I kind of like it. Uh, you know, there's lots of space for me to set up, you know, an area for my instruments and an area for my computer, you know, a little spot for Cece. And there's lots of time for me to just kind of like do whatever. Whatever I can, whatever I want. Oh, um, I am Kyle Smitty, and this is Lead Bottle, my podcast where I do whatever I want. We have a new Twitter, um, at Lead Bottle Pod, not uh, Kyle Smitty 33 anymore, so at Lead Bottle Pod if there's anyone still on Twitter. Still haven't seen anything, keep it on the edge of the floor. But I, you know, I've been taking this time just to watch a lot of television because streaming services are still up and who knows how long they'll be around, how long those servers will be going, who knows if people are still running those, are still archiving things or whatever, but I've been watching a lot of TV and I've actually been watching a lot of the TV show Frasier, that's a sitcom from the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, and I always thought it was interesting and kind of weird watching it, I noticed this, that uh, one of the big conflicts, one of the big, very funny conflicts in the show is between Frasier and Niles Crane, um, Frasier, our main character, Niles' his brother, and their father, uh, Marty. And sort of the class divide between them, uh, Marty's a retired officer and very blue-collar, very working class, and Fraser and Niles are both very high-society, opera-going, wine-drinking, fancy lads. And a lot of the conflict in the show comes from that divide, that distinction between their blue-collar father and their high-class demeanor. But I've been thinking about that divide and its validity while watching the show. Because, you know, M- Marty's not like a distant relative. He's not someone they didn't see very much. He's their father. He helped raise them. Which means that he helped instill a lot of the values they took with them, you know. And for them to have turned out this way, for them to be so far removed from the values of their father, I don't mean like social values, I don't mean political values, I mean practical values. I mean, the things that you do in practice every day, from what you do and what you value in that sense, for them to have evolved so differently to him, it, it is, it's strange to me, because, you know, he probably helped pick their names, and they have some weird high-fluted names. They have Frazier and Niles, right? Those aren't, that's not Marty, right? And he, you know, introduced them to music, 
presumably. And he showed them all these things and sort of showed them the kind of life that he thought someone should live, but they chose their lifestyle instead. And it makes you wonder why that happened. Why is there such a big divide? It's more than, to me than just a generational divide. And I wonder if it's sort of a conscious distancing from their father, you know, the way a lot of teenagers do. It's sort of the whole, the whole teenage rebellion thing is that um, dismissal of your parents' social norms and ideals and values in exchange for a different set. But I was wondering, what if instead of, you know, becoming punks or whatever, Frasier and Niles became fancy? You know, what if they rebelled against their parents, against their dad, by, you know, becoming high society, you know, socialites? You know, by becoming doctors, uh, psychiatrists? By, you know, dismissing beer for wine and by dressing the way they dress and talking the way they talk. It, it doesn't seem to have stemmed from their father. Uh, potentially from their mother, who is deceased at the time of the show. Um, but even then, you'd think you'd see more of their father in them in that sense. Uh, unless, when they were younger, it was a conscious decision. I think it's kind of funny to imagine, you know, like a like a 15-year-old Fraser Crane, you know, um, sneaking champagne, you know, into the house uh, and listening to hidden, you know, LPs of opera. Yeah. Um, maybe the show talks about it. I haven't watched that much. Uh you can only watch so much of something like that, something fun and lighthearted before it starts to feel empty to you. And you have to mix it up because you don't want to, you know, burn yourself out on everything light and fun. You also need to have that stuff there still, but in order to keep it there, in order to keep it having that value and meaning to you, you need, you need a tragedy every once in a while. Um, or, you know, you need a beautiful sadness, a melancholy. And that's what brings me to my second topic of the day. The musician, Lem Billings. Lem Billings was an early psychedelia artist uh, operating in the early mid-60s. He wrote his music out of a desire to find beauty in the tragedies of his time, both socially and political. And there were many tragedies of his time, writing in the 60s as he was. Uh, there were tragedies of assassination, you know, of great of great leaders, or at least important leaders dying. There were social tragedies, you know, there were great abominations being done to the African-American community and other minority communities at the time. And it's funny to call those tragedies. I don't always know if that's the right word for when one group does horrible things to another. Because to me, the word tragedy implies a blamelessness to something. And those are not blameless. Those crimes were committed by people who have blame. But anyway, um, Lem Billings took all the horror and sadness and tragedy from his time, from these events, from 
the national zeitgeist. That was the Vietnam War. That was the civil rights movement. There was great sadness. But at the same time, within that sadness was hope. You know, the civil rights movement was the hope against the tragedy, if you want to use that word, of racial oppression. Um, The Vietnam War was itself a horrible mistake, a horrible decision. But there was protesting. There was a movement that rose up out of a desire to bring people back home and to stop wasting American lives in a war that America never should have entered. Um, And I'm getting too much into the historical context, but Lynn Billings, the psychedelia artist, he played a Gibson electric guitar. He used a variety of... Yes, CC. He used a variety of mixers and pedals to achieve effects that hadn't really been seen before. Um, he brought a classical ideology to his music and its composition. Unlike a lot of composers of the time, he wasn't writing for mainstream pop attention. He was writing, you know, as purely message-making. Um, I'd say it wasn't fun to listen to. His music is extremely fun to listen to, as good psychedelia should be. And it's not a sad song. None of the songs are sad. None of them are tragic. Some of them are melancholic, but there's, there's an underlying happiness to Lynn Billings' music that I think should really be appreciated in times when you feel yourself slipping the tragedy, because you know that tragedy's not the only option there. Yes, Cece. Um, it doesn't have to be sad. Be melancholic. It can be a version of sad that hints at better things to come. So I just wanted to play that for you. Alright, let's pause the background music. And... Oh, what? Come on. File corrupted. Um, shit, looks like that folder got corrupted on my computer somehow. Um, I'll just... I'll pull it up on the streaming, so... (sighs) They took it off streaming a few years ago. There were some disputes in terms of royalties, and it's not available on YouTube or Spotify or anything. None of his music is. Um, Maybe I can find some bootlegs somewhere, but... What if that's it? What if that's the end of that music? What if my I don't have the files and it's not available to stream? And what if there aren't bootlegs made? What if there's no more music by Lem Billings? Uh, what if that story can't be told anymore? You don't want a story to die. You, you want... The remnants somewhere of everything so that it can be revisited. Nothing deserves to fade into dust. So I think I'll tell you all the story next time. Um, the one I talked about an episode or two, or two ago. Um, the story of what happened. Uh, my story. Because I don't want that one to fade either.
thanks. Um, I'll, I'll find you something to play you out with. Um, here we go. This is, um, I just called it synth pop. Go out with this. <laughs>